Well, I think it's obvious that, um, as always, the Holy Ghost is speaking to each of us. And every message that uh, is preached, even in children's church, amen, is applicable to all. Amen? But uh, I do believe that God is speaking uh, very specifically to the young people. Amen? And uh, I know that as, as I'm preparing these messages that, uh, you know, we, we sat around yesterday. I asked my wife, how many children exactly uh, do we have in the church? And... Um, we figured there were, I think, 55 that would be including uh, the Pulver children. Is that right? And of those 55 children, 30 of them are over 10 years old. So that means uh, that the vast balance of children uh, here will, in the next you know, 5, 10, and 15 years, be making these choices that will shape um, the rest of their life. Amen? And uh, and really, you know, as we, um, as Christians, have sought to order our lives and order our marriages and our families and how we educate our children, how we work, uh, much of that has been, you know, God's leading by his spirit that we can, uh, that our lives can be tailor-made so that we can raise up godly seed. Amen. Amen? And so um, the culmination of all that is is a coming, amen, before us. And so it's a critical time, and the enemy would come to uh, steal the fruit. And so we need to be prepared and readied, and I believe the Holy Ghost uh, is speaking to us as parents, speaking to uh, the children here, exhorting you to be uh, prepared in heart. If you're not born again, you need to get born again, amen. If you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, you need to get filled and stay filled with the Holy Ghost, amen? And you need to be sold out, uh, committed to all the light that you have, or you are not going to make it, just like anyone else, amen? But that's the word of the Lord to anyone, amen? As we know, in this apostate hour, and we have covered this and talked about it, and uh, this has been, of course, I believe, an emphasis, um, a strong point, if you will, of this pulpit, that uh, we have always warned of apostasy. And we see in this hour that many are being overwhelmed and deceived, and many are being sifted, especially among the young people. Like never before, all over America, even in the most conservative circles, among the most protected and carefully guarded children, there is a falling away taking place. And this is not, you know, mere hearsay or conjecture. No, no, I know this as a fact because God has sovereignly allowed me to be privy to such a situation, several such situations, and many on a large scale um, or a large movement scale. And these movements, you know, we're not talking about the Southern Baptist Convention. Amen. We're not, we're not talking about, you know, the compromising. We're not talking about the children of those who are sitting under the word of faith or obviously, amen, very difficult to stand when you're under heresy. We're talking about movements, amen, that are very, very conservative. And ironically, some of these movements actually attracted and appealed to multitudes, amen, for one reason, and that's because they emphasized truth for the family. And I believe they did. Or they do. I believe that what was taught, say, for example, what was uh, promoted in the charity movement, 
uh, regarding the family, the teaching on the godly home, uh, that godly home series by Denny Kennison. I've never heard better teaching. Amen. On the home. It was the truth. It's still the truth. Nothing's going to change the truth. Amen. ATI. Amen. Uh, Bill Gothard. And again, we wouldn't agree with everything that they teach, but in regards to the family, uh, a lot of fine teaching. You can go on the internet though, and there are blogs where hundreds and hundreds of young people have come together in one, you know, uh, on one uh, ground, and that is that they've been delivered out of ATI and out of their, you know, cultic upbringing and out, out of their legalism, and just multitudes of them are turning away from the truth. Amen. I believe that many have been disappointed and discouraged because they failed to take the doctrine of free will into consideration. No doubt, seeing our children come to repentance is the stated, expressed will of God. He desires a godly seed. It is his will. Every one of you children be born again and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. And he, not only that, he has provided everything that we as parents, and he has provided everything for you, sons and daughters, amen, that you have need of or that we have need of to see this to become a reality. Amen. And yet this truth must be tempered by another truth, and that is God will force no one. God is not going to force anyone. Neither is God going to believe for you. You are going to have to believe yourself. Amen? And so these truths here, the tension between these two divine truths, that God can be resisted, but also that it is difficult to resist him. Amen. We must recognize both of these truths. And we need to remember this. You know, Christianity is not natural for anyone. Amen. It's not, it's natural for sinners to sin. Amen. It's not, uh, uh, natural for a man to, uh, to, uh, uh, work out his life as a Christian apart from the Holy Ghost. You see, Jesus, is someone, and this this is a truth, this is an absolute, I don't think that we uh, many times understand this. And certainly the church at large doesn't think this. Amen. Jesus is someone that every human being that has ever existed without exception would utter, utterly abhor. And Christianity is a way of life that everyone, Every human being that's ever existed, no exceptions, would utterly reject apart from the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Now, I want you to think about that just for a moment. Because somehow, you know, I think we believe, well, if we homeschool our children, they're going to kind of warm up to the person of Jesus. No, there's protection, and it's the will of God. There's preparation of heart. There's the presentation of hopefully in the unveiling of the holy nature of God via his law, so there can be a crisis. You see, really, it's all the same for everybody. A man must be born again. He must be born again. We know Jesus said in John 6 and 44, no man. That includes homeschoolers. That's everybody. I mean, none. No man can come to me. That sums it up. No man can come to me except the Father 
which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. Amen. So he, he sets forth an absolute. But then in the next verse, he says this. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Praise God. You see, notice in verse 44, Jesus said, nobody, no man, none, zero will come apart from the Holy Ghost. Then in the very next verse, praise God, he says, every man, every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father will come. Hallelujah. You see, young people, you need to make sure that you are hearing. You need to make sure, you need to take heed, amen, to the word of God that is being spoken to you and you need to truly learn, amen, by the Holy Ghost. You need divine revelation, amen. You need for the spirit of God, amen, to touch you in your inward parts and you need to see with the inward eye the holiness, the beauty of God to define reality under the light of the word of God. Thus, in my mind, True Holy Ghost conviction via divine revelation is utterly indispensable in the keeping of our children. Amen. Whether it's me, whether it's you as parents, all of us, we need to be full of the Holy Ghost. And, you know, uh, I would be negligent not to mention that these movements that we're speaking about have rejected the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Don't think there's not repercussions for that in divine power. I believe, and again, we've, we've talked about it before. If all I knew about tongue talking was what you see on the television and what you bump into, amen, down at the gas station at the mail office, amen, I'd call it the devil too and be right because most of it is the devil, amen, but not what's in the Bible and not what's in the true Pentecostal church of God. So when you reject the word of God, there's going to be repercussions for that. I believe the baptism of the Holy Ghost is key, the true baptism of the Holy Ghost. So we need to be filled with the Spirit, and we need to have the Word of the Lord. This is essential, amen, for keeping our children, for bringing them to repentance, just like it is essential in declaring Jesus Christ and Him crucified to a lost world. Without the anointing of the Holy Ghost to press those truths on the inward man, without uh, the moving of God's Spirit, amen, and divine authority and divine power, amen, tinkling cymbal, sounding brass, there has to be that love of God and the heart, amen, the, the spirit of God shed abroad in the heart, amen, that brings that divine revelation. And obviously, amen, those children must want to be kept. You've got to desire to be kept. Amen. That's part of conviction. You know, really, when I look back on my uh, Christian experience, I mean, I was resisting God. I, I didn't see God. He sought me. He turned my heart. He made me to see things. He put me in a situation. I was hemmed up by divine truth. And yes, I had the ability to say no. But it would have been utterly foolish to do so. God put me in a position where it was life or death. 
And that is the will of God, that each and every one of us be provided, amen, with that revelation of God and that revelation of the gospel. It's the will of God that these children be provided, amen, with that. Guess who the vehicle and the vessel, amen, that God wants to use to bring that revelation to these children. Parents, that's you and that's me. So it's important, amen, that we be filled with the Spirit of God. Now, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 15, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Amen. Get, prepare the mind. Amen. Think about it rightly. And that's a lot of what we're uh, doing here in these messages. We are seeking, amen, to communicate divine revelation. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. As a father and as a pastor, my burden then is to unravel the lies of the devil, amen, to unveil the nature of the adversary by exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, amen, or lifting up and declaring the word of God. In other words, if you're going to be intent on destroying yourself, amen, you're going to be forced to do it in broad daylight. Amen. No deception about it whatsoever. But every one of us here, amen, and not just young people because uh, potentially anyone here can reject Christ. Anyone can turn from the truth. But, uh, you know, God wants it such that uh, the, the moving of his spirit and the preaching of the word of God will make us face reality as defined by the word of God. A young person, if you're going to choose the world, amen, then you're going to know exactly what you're doing. May God help you. Reading this morning from 1 Samuel, chapter 31. We're going to read the whole chapter. First Samuel, chapter 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain at Mount Geboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadad and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men that same day together. When the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley, and they that were on the other side of Jordan, saw that the men of Israel fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And it came to pass on the morrow, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen at Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, 
and sent it to the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body in the wall of Bethshane. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul, the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshane, and came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Father, we love you here this morning. We're asking, Lord, for your truth. You desire truth in the inward parts. Lord, we know we can be cleansed, we can be kept by your power. We will hide your word in our heart, Father. And I pray, Lord, that this truth would provoke the fear of the Lord. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we would be zealous for your glory. Zealous, Lord God, against the enemy. Jealous, Lord, for your kingdom, Father. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I've simply entitled this a trophy for the devil. You are a potential trophy for the devil, young person. Amen. That's what the devil wants you for. He wants to use you. Amen. And use you to attack the Lord Jesus Christ. Fittingly, the backdrop of our text is a battlefield. Amen. And we are called to victory as Christians. We are to live, amen, as victors in this life. We are to be more than overcomers, and the victory has been secured. But make no mistake about it, amen, we must fight to secure that victory. Amen, we must uh, apply the, the scriptures and the promises of God. We must believe the word of God, and we must resist the devil to endure unto the end. We read here in our text of King Saul's untimely death. He was called of God. He was chosen of God. And yet in the end, he shamefully goes down in defeat by suicide, and then he's exploited terribly by the enemies of God. What lessons can we learn? What lessons can we glean here from this Old Testament story? Many, I believe. And I've offered seven here in this message, and we're going to cover those here this morning. First of all, when spiritual defenses are low, the enemy is going to hotly pursue you. Amen. When the enemy, or pardon me, when the spiritual defenses are low, the enemy is going to hotly pursue. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, it says in verse 1, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines. You see, there was a corporate weakness. Amen. And they fell down, slain in Mount Goabin. Gilboa, and the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew, amen, Jonathan and Abinadad and Malkeshua, Saul's sons. You see, what we read here is a culmination of years of bad leadership and sin from the top on down. Amen. After years of spiritual compromise, years of waffling around, the religious game playing finally caught up to King Saul. Amen. And the entire nation under him. Amen. Because his compromise and his leaven was influencing the hold as the scriptures say. Thus, timid and fearful and unable to withstand the enemy, the king and his weakened army, amen, become uh, uh, fearful and turn into retreat. 
retreat mode. And I can tell you what, retreat mode is the quickest way to get destroyed as a Christian. Amen. No one has ever overcome the devil by turning their back to the enemy. Amen. No one has ever defeated sin or the world. Amen. By simply, amen, trying to run from it. Amen. You've got to stand on the word of God and you've got to learn to fight to overcome. In God's mercy and in God's long-suffering, amen, many survived for years simply on the peripheral. But ultimately, such an existence is going to be exposed. You know, so many people misinterpret the mercy of God. They misinterpret the long-suffering of God. They just, you know, uh, remain on the fringe. And they know they're not really seeking God as they should. And they're not really pressing in. And not really studying the Word of God. And time and time again, it goes on, amen, uh, month after month. And year after year, the Spirit of God calling us to Himself. And if we don't listen, we begin to think, well, you know, I can make it like this. And And we don't really recognize... It's just the mercy of God. It says in Ecclesiastes, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. And if you don't be, if you're not careful, if you don't abide in the fear of God, you will begin to think, well, I've just served, you know, so long and I've just gotten by just by staying on the peripheral and I've, I've, you know, just go to church and uh, my mother and my father have the word of the Lord or my, uh, my, uh, you know, husband has the word of the Lord or my pastor has the word of the Lord and I've done just fine. Amen. I'm still in church and I'm still externally holding to the standards of the word of God. God. Friend, you're deceived. It's just the mercy of God. Amen. That you're still alive in the Spirit. What we must realize is this. You have an enemy and that enemy is following hard after you. Now this seems like you know, a given. Something that, that you know, as a Christian I would take for granted that everyone Recognize, but I'm I'm becoming you know keen to the fact that people you know they may say they believe in the devil, hey, but just like they say they believe in God, hey, but, but there's really no revelation, hey, man, of what you're up against apart from Jesus Christ. You have a formidable enemy who hates you, and you know if you would just get people to believe that. Outside of Christ, there's nothing but bad. If you, if you fantasize about going out there, if you consider, amen, take it, you don't believe that. You, you don't believe the Bible. You, you believe out there there's something good. So I'm, I'm the exception. But we need to, rap. we have an enemy. And he's following hard after us. And if we're not willing to resist him and overcome him through the spiritual tools and weapons that God has given us, then we will be defeated. We don't have to be defeated. But we will be defeated if we don't fight on God's ordained ground. He will only carefully and prudently attack you. If you give place, if you are weakened in your spiritual resolve, 
If you fall into sin, amen, and you refuse to repent, or you spend long seasons of time estranged from God because you are not quickly repenting, then the enemy sooner or later is going to come in like a flood, and he's going to seek to take you out with a spiritual power play. Amen. He's like a wild animal. If he smells blood, he's not going to let up until you show that you're willing to adequately resist him. That's how lots of people get taken down. They fall in and out of sin. Then they become discouraged. Then when they used to fall into sin, they were quick to get up and repent. Amen. But now they let days go by where they just surf. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, you know, if I take and amputate both arms and both legs, and you're in that state and someone comes in to knife you to death, you're in a bad position. You're basically defenseless. Is that right? Well, that's what you're like when you're falling into sin and you haven't repented, amen, that you are a sitting duck for the devil. And he is calculating, amen. He is searching for an opportunity. He is, you know, circling every saint of God, looking for a way to get in and to take you down. And you need to know the nature of this warfare. And you need to know the nature of your adversary. And most of all, you need to know, amen, the glory and the power of your Savior, amen. Moreover, amen, according to our text, as we look through this, I believe there's another subtle lesson we can learn. We see the satanic priorities exposed. Now, let me qualify this. The devil is after every godly person. He's after anyone that's born again. But there are priorities. And I believe we see here that he is especially after leaders. He is especially after leaders' children. And he's especially after firstborn. And he is especially after men or sons. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean hey, but he's not interested in taking you out. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just simply saying he's after everyone. And he knows if he can affect leadership, and if he can affect the males, then he is going to ultimately get everyone, or there's going to be a greater possibility. That is his strategy, and we need to recognize that. Next, you're most vulnerable when you are sore wounded. Amen. It says in verses 3 and 4, And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Now, this is not close combat. Amen. There's a distance here. Amen. In other words, he was wounded by individuals that he couldn't even see. Amen. This is not the enemy right on top of you. This is the archer shooting an arrow, arrows from a distance. Then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took his sword and fell upon him. Here we see the king has been critically wounded. And in such a feeble and incapacitated state, he allowed the pressures of the battlefield to convince him that self-inflicted death was best. Amen. And this is the nature of the warfare. 
that all of us face. Amen. You see, if you fall, listen to me. If you allow the enemy with those fiery darts, and that word dart really means arrow. If you allow the enemy to weaken, if you begin to receive the lies of the devil, amen, and unbelief sets in, or you fall into sin, then you are in a weakened state and you're wounded and you become that much more vulnerable. And he's going to seek to paint death as life. He's going to try to make, you know, your circumstances and your surroundings as a Christian. He's going to, you know, paint the way. He's going to say the situation here is so bleak. And the situation here is so troubling. And the situation is so bad. It would be better for you to just die. Oh, yes, that's the lie of the devil. He wants to paint the way as negative. And he wants to paint the world, the flesh, and sin as positive. And so it is. When we're weakened spiritually, sooner or later, the pressures of the ongoing Christian battle will potentially manipulate you. Now, if you stand strong in Christ, if you resist the enemy, if you obey the Bible, you're going to overcome every time. But this is the key. Listen to me, young people. You're going to have to learn to fight. You're going to have to learn to resist. You're going to have to stand on the Word of God. And most of all, you need to believe what the Bible said about it. Needs to be a commitment that you make. You commit yourself to the Word of God. You give yourself to the Word of God. I have no other option. If you don't do that, listen to me, sooner or later, you're going to fall away. It has to be your spirit. It has to be your, I don't, I don't care what I see. I, I don't care what happens, amen? By the grace of God, I am committed to the word of God. I don't care if I can't answer a question. I don't care if someone comes up to me next week and presents what seems like, uh, you know, a glaring contrast. I don't care what they say. The Bible's true! I'm committed. I don't care if everybody calls me a fool. I am standing, clinging! To the word of God. That makes it easy. Amen. I don't have it. Choice A and B. <laughs> choice A. What are we talking about? I don't have any. What devil? What'd you say? I, yeah, I, I'm not. I, long ago, I burned that bridge. I'm not going down that way. You're just painting something to me that doesn't exist. You're trying to paint something that I know is death. And as far as I'm concerned, that avenue doesn't exist for me. You might as well be quiet in Jesus' name. Remember in that Pilgrim's Progress, how many of you remember where Christian and I believe hopeful and they uh, made a wrong turn. They got off the straight and the narrow course. And what happened? Giant despair came and uh, took them captive and held them in Doubting Castle. And in that atmosphere of oppression and in that atmosphere of unbelief, which uh, in the book it makes it clear that very few people ever survived going that deep into that awful place. Well, you know what happened? They became passive. That's exactly what they became. They sat there in the dungeon. They didn't fight. They didn't resist. They just hoped for mercy. Hoped for mercy from the giant. You know, that's what people do when they backslide. They, they, even people know. They know, I'm going out here and I'm going to be at the mercy of the devil. I'm going to be at the mercy of giant despair. If you read there in the book, every time they called him, you know, sir, he whipped him for that. And then they called him good, he whipped him for that. I mean, there, there was no winning for, with him. Amen. He was evil. He was against them. He was their enemy. 
Well, they just, uh, well, what can we do? That's what people do. They backslide. Well, I believe the devil might, he might treat me right. I might be these. He said, don't, don't be this. The devil hates you. He hates Jesus. Amen. He hates all things that are right. And he's nobody's friend. Amen. Get that. He's nobody's friend. Well, that, you know, giant came in there and, uh, he, he beat them and he tormented them. And, uh, you know, then he came in and said, you know, I, I tell you what I spoke to my wife. And they were like, oh, uh, the wife wants to have mercy on us. No. Are you kidding? Beat him a little bit for that. Amen. And then he said, uh, I'm going to beat you to death with this rock or this club. He goes, but before my wife said, yeah, I would provide these instruments uh, of execution for you to, you know, take the easy way out. You know why? Amen. That devil's going to try to uh, convince you to forfeit eternal life because he can't take it from you. You got to lay it down. Don't be a fool. Yes, you've been blessed with the truth. You've been blessed with examples. You've been touched by the Holy Ghost. You've seen what others have never seen. You got to lay it down. The devil can't steal it from you. He's got to talk you out of it. That's what that giant tried to do. He tried to talk them into killing themselves. And the pressure, you see, the intensity of the battlefield. Amen. To manipulate. Oh, this is so bad. Just be better if I'd go ahead and end it all. What a lie. Amen. What a lie. You see, ultimately, Christian, he remembered, I got the key. What am I doing in here? I don't have to be. I don't have to be in here. I don't have to be. I can walk out of here in the power of God because I have the word of God. And so do you. You don't have to fall. You don't have to be sifted because you have the word of Almighty. You've been provided with every tool, every instrument, every weapon to overcome the enemy. But you cannot be passive. You must understand, amen, this, God has provided the means whereby we can stand against every wile of the devil. It says in Ephesians 6 and 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts or the archers. Amen. You know, the enemy's not going to come in on a power play at first. He's going to attack you, amen, as it were, from a distance. And he's going to lob some suggestions to you. And as you begin to meditate, amen, upon the word of God and upon uh, uh, his uh, counter thoughts that are against the word of God, you're going to have to choose which one you are going to believe. Are you going to obey the Bible to take that fiery dart. You see, if you, if, you, if you do take the shield of faith and you utilize it, what, what is that? What, you, what is the shield of faith? Is that, is that when the, the devil says, well, where did Adam get his uh, belly button? Then a little voice speaks to you and tells you exactly how that works. Faith is when a little voice is that. You say, I don't know. God knows, but I trust him. That's what faith is. You don't have to have the answer to anything. All you have to know is God wrote the book and he don't lie. That's what the shield of faith is. You don't have to have the answer to anything. All you have to do is know that book is of God. 
and I'm holding to it. And I'll not receive one accusation against it. However, if you lay down the shield of faith and refuse to fight. You see, this is the nature of our warfare. Amen. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Amen. Our weapons are not carnal. Amen. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There is a warfare that you've got to learn to fight. It is spiritual. Amen. But if you lay that shield down, then the fiery darts of unbelief are going to penetrate your mind and spirit. And it's going to begin to weaken you. And questions are going to rise up. And you're going to begin to wonder and fret and worry and be weakened and distracted from the person of Christ. And that's when, listen to me, the manipulation, the stress and the pressure of the battlefield is going to come into play. When you're sore wounded. When men are fallen. When they're offended. When they become aloof. When they're not seeing properly. When they have little strength. When they become passive. When they're unwilling to fight. Amen. You're a coward when you don't use the Bible. In the spirit. Amen. Amen. It's different in the nat- than in the natural. See, in the spirit, you're a coward and you're, refu- you're passive when you refuse to obey the Bible's instructions in the midst of warfare. If you don't practice the scriptures when you're being attacked, then you're not fighting. When you're like that, you're easy takings. Easy takings for the devil. This is why one of the most important spiritual lessons that you can learn is in First John 2 and 1. My little children, these things write unto you. That ye sin not. Thank God. Amen. I believe in holiness. So does God. So is the apostolic doctrine. Holiness. And if any man sin, if not when, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now this is a lesson in plain vernacular. You need not fall. That is God's perfect will. You need not fall. But if you do fall, you had better learn this lesson, young person. You better learn this lesson, anyone that's going to follow Jesus Christ. You had better quickly repent and get in right relationship with God. Did you hear me? Somebody say amen. You need to learn to get up immediately. You waddle around in that. You give place to the devil. You are sore wounded and you are vulnerable. Vulnerable to the enemy. This is why a fighting spirit, which you must learn, is essential to victory. That's part of fighting. You understand? That's part of fighting. That's the enemy, amen, giving you a body blow, and that's you rising up with the sword of the Spirit and striking back. You can't fight while you're down. You can't fight if you're separated from God, amen, by sin. You must learn to fight. Now, this is something I've just been meditating upon. And it's an observation that many people have made, even in these movements, in regards to children. You know, I was telling my boys the other day, I was just kind of kicking this around as I was meditating. And I told them how, you know, children when they're younger, it's just so much easier to uh, bring them into conformity. 
I mean, it's really nothing, you know, to bring, you know, you have a four or five, six year old. I realize they have to be spanked and disciplined and they need to be spanked rightly and thoroughly. Amen. In other words, the spanking needs to be something that they utterly dread. But nevertheless, listen to me. It's, it's so easy just to deal with young people in comparison to uh, the later years. And I can remember as uh, my boys were growing up, they might be, you know, six or eight or whatever. And they may say something or offer a thought that was unscriptural. And all I had to do is basically lean over and look them eyeball to eyeball. And just say, we don't believe that, son. That's the devil. We're not going to think that way. It was all almost by virtue of my will that their minds were clean. Really? You could say that forcefully, authoritatively, and they just, you know, dropped it. Without even question. They, amen. That's what daddy said. That's the truth. Amen. But you know, listen to me. So now, by virtue of my choice, they are able to be protected and shielded from this warfare. And I'm simply, as a father, implementing the means and the patterns that the Holy Ghost taught me to overcome. Give no place to the devil. You know, we if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you understand. You better not give any place to the devil. That old saying, amen, you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile. That's the truth. Amen. You never get, you're not going to get away with just dabbling with the enemy. You know, the old warrior begins to figure out, don't you ever listen to one word that enemy says? Because you do, he's going to lead you around the block. But these young people, you see, they raise up in a protected atmosphere, thank God. And now they have to learn. You see, what happens is, now as they wake up, to their autonomy and as their reason develops and as their will matures, now those questions internally, they can begin to entertain. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing God is going to do about it. You see, they're going to have to be tested. They are going to have to be tested on that ground. And so the enemy is going to come in and they're going to have to learn to fight. They're going to have to learn the methods of this warfare. They have been protected and shielded all their lives. Amen. So that they can be brought. Let me tell you something. Homeschooling doesn't save anyone. Raising children in a, children in a godly atmosphere doesn't save any child. It only prepares them for this crisis right here. You know what do sinners do? Well, they're blind. They're deceived. And they just give place Amen to the enemy and their children's lives. And of course, amen, you're not, you know, people don't uh, cleave to Christianity naturally, but they sure enough cleave to sin. So they just go with it, amen. But these children have learned to yield. They've learned, or pardon me, sinners have learned to yield to the devil. But these children have been protected, protected. And by virtue even of our choices, for the most part, they have been protected. But as they grow, they must learn to fight. They must learn to implement, amen, the methods of spiritual warfare. Ironically, those who merely want to survive in the kingdom, amen, just want to go to heaven, they will surely perish. Did you hear me? People that just kind of, I just want to make sure that I make it and you're going to go to hell. It don't work like that. And they got people in here like that. 
They got older people. Just try to make, hang on and I can make it in. You're going to, ultimately, if you don't get pressed in, the devil's going to exploit that. If you were to overcome, you must not only learn to fight, you've got to have a heart for the battle. Amen. You see people, and even young people. I've talked to young people recently, and this it's always a fight. It's always a fight. There's just always a warfare. Amen. Amen. There is it's a battle. But you can be a victor in this battle if you'll just cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, you've got to learn to love the warfare. Those who endure unto the end are those who almost savor the conflict. Those who enjoy engaging and spoiling the enemy for the glory of God. When you read through the Old Testament, who are those patriarchs? Amen. What's one characteristic? Or And I realize there's many characteristics that they all had in common. But one of those characteristics is they love to spoil the enemy. Amen. That was something you find. You see David. And you see Abraham. Amen. All through the Old Testament, those patriarchs of faith. Amen. They almost enjoyed the Conflict. Second Timothy two and four. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if you're a Christian, then you've been called into the army of God. Moreover, I would be negligent if I failed to address a wounded spirit as an offended spirit. So you've got to learn to fight, but you have to have a right heart. You know, I, I remember in the military, we were training as trainees. We went through basic training, went through jungle expert school, and went through, you know, jump school and what have you. But that was dangerous. Tra- People died. People got hurt and maimed in, the, in that training. So the training was dangerous, but it was in a controlled environment. And see, you young people, you're at home. You're still under the authority of your parents. Amen. God, he wants to teach you how to fight. Amen. He is going to allow you to be tested. There's going to be these attacks against your mind, against the word of God. All these things are going to come in. Amen. And it is very, very dangerous. But it's still a controlled environment. And you better learn to fight. Amen. Right now. You better learn to walk by faith right now. Amen. So that you can stand on your own two feet. But if you get sore wounded, and especially if you are uh, someone who is easily offended first of all people that get easily envy, jealousy who easily pick up an offense against someone reveals that they are carnal in the extreme and there are no exceptions to that you can't fight the devil while you're offended with someone else Oh, no. See, it's a, it's a ploy of the enemy to get you so distracted that your eyes are off Jesus, but on someone else. And you've heard me say this before. If you have a child who is easily offended, one of the things you can do is look and see if you are easily offended and you've passed that on to your child. That's the first thing you can do. And if you are someone, then you're going to teach your children that. 
It's not always the case that someone who has a child who's easily offended is someone who gets easily offended. But if you are easily offended, listen to me, there's probably nothing. Worse, nothing that opens a door like the devil or nothing that opens a door to the devil like getting offended. It needs to be kicked in the teeth without mercy. If you have a child, you need to, you need to fall on that like napalm. I mean, you need to utterly humiliate that. God hates it. It's wicked, selfish, evil, sensual, devilish. Husbands, you got a wife? Easily offended? I mean, I'm telling you, don't you tolerate it. You bring death in that family. People that are easy, they can't see anything except their offense. It's, uh, yeah. nothing, nothing brings deception like people getting offended. Because you sign up to be a hooker and a whore for the enemy as soon as you receive that spirit. And you're getting pimped by the devil. And you, get, you can't see, because then he's going to become your buddy. You know, people that are offended, you know what they like to do? Then they talk about it. And when no one, you see, this is when someone in the church is offended with someone else, what they do, they go go somewhere else and. But if people are really holy, they say, I don't want to hear that. That's wicked. Shame on you. You little spirit person. You know, you offended. May God help you. Those who love God's law, they have great peace. Nothing shall offend them. You hate God's law. They're not going to share anything with you after that. Amen. That's what you should do. Tell them that. I can tell you what the devil, he's going to listen. <laughs> I, know, I know. You're right. They should have never done that to you. They don't like you. They're talking. They have something again. Don't play a fool for the devil. It's against what the scriptures teach. But I can tell you, listen to me. Men, you are in charge of your household and you should not tolerate that spirit. I mean, you should hate it. And parents, you should not tolerate that in your children. No mercy. That's one of those things. That's one of those altars. That's one of those images. That's one of those pagan traditions. Utterly destroy it have no mercy upon it or it's going to pluck your eyeballs out in the end see when you're sore wounded and you know it's how the devil does as well if he doesn't attack the word of god is he really there's these there's a certain type of individual and we all listen to me the enemy we all have weaknesses we all have areas where the devil seeks to exploit us. And some people are just more easily offended than others. They need to recognize this. They need to be carefully, you know, submit themselves to God and come into the light of the word of God that they don't allow something in their heart or spirit. You know how it's going to get there? 
Did you see the way name is the name? No one didn't like you better than them. <laughs> As if that really matters. Anyway. You, you know what you need? A cross. What you need. So that you can nail your filthy hide up on the cross and die to that. Who cares whether someone really likes you? You, know, you need to seek the praise that comes from God. And seek to love. Amen. If someone doesn't like you, love them. So the Bible says. You know, the Bible says of the strange woman in Proverbs, and the strange woman is a type of the false church, is a type of false doctrine. For she hath cast down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. You get wounded in the spirit. Oh, you're you're wide open. You're going to you're vulnerable to the enemy. The third lesson we can learn from this Old Testament story: your demise will encourage death. Your demise will encourage death. But his armor bearer would not would not what would not aid Saul in his death, and rightfully so. He was so afraid. Therefore, Saul took his sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men that same day together. Your demise. And you know, the enemy, he will tell you, it's not going to be like that. If you have any love in your heart at all for people around you, amen, if you, if you feel any moral obligation to those who have really loved you and to Jesus, Oh, that's going to prick your conscience. I know if I, if I go out in the world. Amen. It's a thought that I have. It's a thought that's helped keep me over the years. Somebody say amen. amen. If, I, if I go out there, I'm going to affect people. I'm going to influence people in the negative. Notice all these deaths the scriptures link and use the word together. Each death helping in some fashion to fuel the other. For example, look at the armor bearer who refused to aid King Saul in his self-inflicted end. Yet, one moment he could be so against death, and the next, after seeing the king die, he could embrace it with ease. How many times have I seen that? Christians closely knit together, loving one another as brothers and sisters. And somebody backslides. And the very one that set up all night trying to talk them out of going into the world falls into the world the next week. And they didn't have to fall. Amen. Listen to me. No one, no one, amen, has to fall. No one really can be blamed for the destruction of another. But we are all obligated to live holy because we are not to cast a stumbling block before others. So it is. The power of death. Notice how contagious it can be. When we are tempted to backslide, our conscience pricks us because we know we're not only sinning against Jesus, and that should be the paramount thing. Amen. That is the uh, perhaps, uh, or not perhaps, absolutely, that is uh, obedience to the great command to love God supremely, and it should be our number one motivation. But our conscience bears witness we're not only sinning against God to backslide, but we're also sinning against the brother. And as much as backsliders want to avoid it, 
And as much as the enemy wants them to believe that their backsliding will not be a great effect. Amen. Their backsliding will absolutely negatively affect others. Amen. And you know, if I talk to, if I, if I've talked to people, amen, backsliding, I always bring it up. What are the people you preach to? What of your grandfather? What of your mother? What of your father? What of your neighbor? What of your brothers and sisters in the church? I, you know, I, I can't be accountable for them just trying to evade. And you can see they're convicted. You kill yourself in the spirit. Amen. You are casting stumbling blocks before everyone and anyone who ever cared about you. Fourthly, your spiritual ruin will weaken the greater cause. Your spiritual ruin will weaken the greater cause. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley, and they that were on the other side of Jordan, they saw that the men of Israel fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came. And dwelt in them. The spirit of death and the spirit of defeat cascaded down on Israel's army, and in fear they gave up precious victory ground to the enemy. Amen. And you make no mistake about it. Every fallen soldier directly affects the overall strength of the whole. And you see, there is a corporate calling and a corporate purpose, not just, you know, in your life, but in your family. In your marriage, in your home, in this local church, in the the body of Christ universal. And every single person that backslides contributes to the overall strength of the army of God. Amen. Why in in America? We see, amen, there's ground. We're losing ground, amen, quickly. I'm talking about spiritual ground. Spiritual ground is being ate up all the time. Why is that? It's a reflection of the quality of the spiritual strength of the church in America. Because people are compromising. People are sinning. People are backsliding. We are losing ground. No one individual, amen, has to lose for another, amen, but you contribute to the strength of the overall, amen, temperament, amen, and condition of God's army. When one Christian falls, others are being tempted to follow. And though no one can blame another for their own spiritual ruin, we are all morally obligated to live in love one toward another. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect your immediate family. It's going to affect your relatives. It's going to affect your church. It's going to affect those around you on the peripheral. It's going to affect those you preach to. You know, when I got born again, I remember two or three people that preached to me. Couldn't find one, found another one. He's backslid. That had an effect on me. I mean, I went on to serve Jesus. But you know, I called this guy because he had witnessed to me. Now, he's out in the world doing drugs. It's going to affect other people if you throw in the towel. As the Bible declares, a righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. Hard to stop the flow. Hard to stop the influence. Number five, once fully diluted, the enemy is going to celebrate with you. Once deluded, once you're dead, the enemy is going to party with you. 
Once you're deceived, once you're dead, once you kill yourself, once you spit in the face of Jesus Christ and wallow in a pit of manure and vomit, the devil's going to come jump in with you. He's going to fulfill all his promises to you. He's going to bring you a box full of carrots, the ones hit on the end of the stick. No, that's not what he's going to do. He's going to come and strip you. That's what he's coming to do. And that's what he's coming to do every time. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain. Once Saul and his sons were dead, the enemy could easily move in and take whatever they wanted. And use, amen, the slain for whatever purpose they deemed. There was absolutely no power for the, for them, the dead, to resist the enemy's wishes or the enemy's will. You know why the devil wants you dead? So you can't resist his wish. So he wants you dead. Once you're dead, you can't do anything. You're held captive, as the Bible says, at his will. And rest assured. The enemy wants everything left. Somebody soon will. Once death is accomplished, the enemy will leave me alone. Oh, that's what lots of people under that pressure. Amen. That's what Saul. Amen. Thought of the now. If I just thrust, amen, you know, the sword through, you see, in his weakened state, amen, he wasn't thinking through the ramifications and the implications of such a choice. I saw on the internet the other day, they had pictures you know, describing the events of 2012. One of the most riveting pictures I saw were these people in North India. They were protesting the government. They were lighting themselves on fire. I mean, just showed them running through the streets on fire, engulfed, just melting. See their skin, and they're screaming, just running. And the other day, of course, they die. I thought, that's pretty stupid. How stupid do you have to be I don't care how bad politically it is. Amen. You better get used to the fire. You're getting ready to go to a fire that's going to burn forever. No, the enemy didn't leave him alone. The enemy didn't come to bless him or to comfort him or celebrate, but to strip, to steal, and to defile. You need to believe this, young person. That's what he wants you. That's all he wants you for. Nothing else. Nothing more. Sadly, many seem to harbor erroneous concepts about backsliding. As if returning to the kingdom of darkness perfectly mirrors repenting and being born of God and then being grafted into the kingdom of God. Like it's merely like swapping sides or realigning allegiances. I would agree there are many parallels. But one thing you need to remember and not forget, Jesus forgives you, but the devil doesn't. Jesus is always loving you and wishing your highest good. The devil is never, ever, not even for a moment, wishing that. John 10 and 10, the thief cometh not. That means for no other reason. The thief cometh not. You got the thief knocking on your door. You got the devil talking to you. 
Hey, when you got the enemy breathing down your neck, I'm here to tell you God's already told you what he came for. I don't care what he said. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. He didn't come for any other reason. He came for that reason. The devil, he, he, he might be my friend. No. Don't think that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pledge my allegiance to the devil and go out in the world and he's going to bless me. <laughs> no, he's not. And listen to me, it may look. You can see, don't envy that wicked one. You read that in the Bible. You know why? It says you need to realize your latter end. Yeah, you may get to have some money, power, fame, fortune. Lots of people have. Lots of people have backslidden and become famous people. Miserable in sin, though. And in hell when they die. He didn't come to bless, no matter what it looks like. If you've ever been part, and not only this, if you've ever been part of anything that has wrought victory over the enemy in times past, yeah, you think if people hold a grudge, What about the father of hate? What about the origins of murder? You you think he can hold a grudge? You've seen men driven to get revenge on their enemies? You you ever read stories how men will plot against someone and even act like, I'm your friend just to get revenge for something happened in the past? (laughs) Don't be. I remember a story a preacher friend of mine told me. He was in Bible school. He was about 18 years old. He said in, uh, there was a, a preacher there that uh, was a, a, a professor in the Bible school, and there was someone that had uh, called him to go and cast the devil out of a young lady, and uh, he asked this uh, preacher friend of mine to go along with him. And so he went. He said he's real young, and he'd seen some of that, but not much. I grew up, uh, or rather, I'm sorry, he didn't grow up Pentecostal, but got born again when he was a uh, a young man and said he went in and there was uh, this young lady and just all types of manifestations and she'd open her mouth and rock and roll like a radio was coming out and he, he was you know startled or whatever and they began to uh, cast the devil out of the young lady and uh, he got right down there and they were uh, you know down there casting the devil out and he said all of a sudden that uh, young girl very young said with a guttural voice and she stopped and just flung her head to me and he said I knew it wasn't her I knew it was the devil he said that devil looked at me and as he was leaving her body he said I'll never forget you I'm going to come and take my revenge on you for the rest of your life I'm going to be after you said it kind of riveted him said he went on in life became a pastor he's a street preacher in New Orleans for many years this was years later and he said late one night Amen. As he was preaching on the street, he said there was a sodomite, big sodomite. He said about six five, and he was just as flimsy and effeminate. And he knew him. He preached to him many, many times. Fed him before he lived on the street. And he said, uh, "I was preaching, and he came up to me and said, I need to talk.' He was sweeping. He said, "I need to talk to you." He said the guy was never really open to the gospel, but he said he looked convicted. He said he said, "I need to speak to you. I need to speak to you privately." 
And uh, he said, you know, he said, well, after I get through preaching here, I'll talk to you. And so when they cleared it up, he said he went over and uh, the sodomite was waiting there on the side, uh, over there on the side of the street. And he said, let's go back here. And they went into a dark alley. He said, as soon as we got away from everybody, he said, that big man grabbed me around the throat and picked me up off the ground. And then demonic strength threw me against the wall and began to choke me to death. And he said, that same voice spoke out of that sodomite and said, I'm that, I was that day. He said, I never told this story to that man before. He knew nothing about it. He said, I'm the same devil was in that little girl and I'm in him and I'm getting ready to kill you. That devil has a memory. That day, you, you think you're going to stand out here on this street corner and you're going to call sinners to repentance, amen? And you're going to call sodomy wicked, amen? You're going to stand out here and call, amen, these uh, deceived Christians at these concerts, deceived by the devil, and you're going to stand for Jesus and then you're going to go join up with the devil and he's not going to try to kill you. You're deceived. He's holding a grudge, mister, and he doth remember. Number six, Satan sees you merely as a trophy. They found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Geboa. They cut off his head and stripped him of his armor and sent him to the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols. And among the people... And they put his armor in the house of Asheroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshane. Here the enemy refused to simply be satisfied with Saul and his son's death, but went on to defile them, even in death. The devil's not going to be satisfied to get you out of here. Amen? See, that's what he'll tell you. He's not going to tell you what he's going to use you for. He's not going to tell you about the stripping. No, no. He wants to defile. They flaunted their victory and used the testimony of Saul's defeat to glorify their pagan gods. And this is exactly what the enemy wants to do with us. All the lies, all the deception, whatever he may tell us to gain our ear, amen, to attract our attention is nothing more than spiritual bait. Ultimately, he wants to use us as an instrument of violence against the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, it's one thing to be wronged. Amen? It's one thing to be sinned against. It's another thing. To be deceived and used and lied to. Now, I remember when I got born again. And I remember coming into the light. I remember thinking, now, what was I thinking? <laughs> you remember that, Brother Bob? What, what? I have this. I, I, have, I have played the fool. I have been the devil's little toy for 25 years of my life. I tell you what, you can't hate people. You must love God, but you must abhor the devil. He's not doing that to me again by the grace of God. You see, it's one thing, but do you you understand? I'm trying to show you what he is. And everything other than Christ, everything other, everything outside of Christ is him. 
That should make the choice easy for you. He wants to flaunt and parade your dead spiritual carcass before others to strengthen the hands of the wicked and to promote deception. And he's going to cut your head off. You won't know what in the world is going on. He's going to take your head right off of your body. Amen. You know where your eyes are? They're in your head. You're not going to see it rightly. That's how come you can go to these boards and see I was in a cult. Legalism. Yeah, you weren't in the army of God. You were in a cult. That's what he'll say. He's going to take that armor off. He's going to take that off. You're not going to remember it right. You're going to be utterly deceived. He's going to cut your head off. He's going to hang your armor in the temple of the devil. The truth is, and this is what you need to know, to Jesus Christ, how does God see you? sees you as a soul. Jesus died to redeem. Even while you're in sin, even while you are an enemy or were an enemy of God, He has always wished your highest good. How does the devil view? He sees you only as an end to his means. A potential stumbling block. A trophy. A skin on the wall. A scalp on his belt a notch on his bedpost. Someone to use. The choice should be easy. That's the truth. I'm hemmed up by divine truth. There's no other way to go. I don't want to be a trophy for the devil. Let's stand, amen. You know, the final point, these valiant men, a few valiant men left. They stayed up. They went all night. They did what they could do to wipe away the reproach. That's what we need to do. They didn't smooth it over. They didn't sugarcoat anything. They buried them. You don't bury people that ain't dead. Amen. Called it what it was. The true church will call it what it is. You backslide, you're on your way to hell. You're a God hater. But the true church is going to grieve fast. Pray. Don't be. What a shame to be a trophy. For the not, not just written over your epitaph on a gravestone, but 
but for eternity to burn forever in hell knowing you were the little pimp for the devil. The choice is easy. It's coming these altars. sought to raise their children right. When you really get born again, that's the desire of your heart. When you have children, I want what I didn't have. I don't want them to have to face what I faced, and I want them to be protected and raised up to follow Jesus. You know, I think many, they're lulled to sleep, believing that the protection is actually salvation and that uh, you know these children are raised up and they're taught obedience and even and we know this is true if we compare ourselves among ourselves we can get deceived pretty quickly amen we definitely if we compare ourselves among the world and our children even the worst of children raised in an atmosphere like this seems like you know they're saints you know so obedient and you go over to your family's house and they just marvel that they'll sit still for five minutes. And uh, so sometimes I think parents, they, they kind of think, well, this is going to be easy. And You know, when you read these reports of all these children uh, turning against their upbringing, it's not, not the 10-year-olds. You don't read it. You don't see any of them 10, year, you know, 10 years old. You, may, you hardly see them. All I've seen is 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, 23, whatever. It's kind of like, you know, the military that knows that there's a small number and there's coming an assault and they do the right thing, which is to what? Fortify. To find a place of defense where they're protected. But then when the enemy comes and makes the assault to be, what's this all about? You see, that's what really, when we've homeschooled and ordered our families this way, we're preparing for that season of their life when they're going to have to make, you know, they got to get born again. That, that's really the, it doesn't matter that they have to be born again. We sometimes, you know, we're, we get deceived by our own, they all look, you know, they're all dressed the same and they got neat haircuts and yes sir and yes ma'am and they look holy but uh, it don't matter they need to be born again and if you got born again you know that's an event there was a crisis that took place amen there was a warfare that took place There's going, we don't have to lose any of these children but we need to know what we're up against and we need to know what we're dealing with here and we need to be willing to fight amen we're going to have to fight and resist the devil we're a church that's facing this, and we're going to be facing it. And uh, let's not be unaware of uh, the dynamics and the complexities of the world. Amen? We can overcome. Children, you, you, you can choose to be right with God. That's what it's going to boil down. 
That's what it brought down for us. Jesus came looking for me. Amen. There's a time in my life he came to fetch me. There was a season, a couple years for me. Maybe for you it was only a few months. I don't know. A couple years for me. You know what it was reduced to? A few choices. Made all the, it, if I'd have chose this way, it unfolded totally different. That's what it's going to be for you. Choose. You see what the Holy Ghost is trying to do? is to pull back all the veneer and the religious deception and all the lies of the enemy so you know exactly what the choice is. Amen. To me, Matt, it's easy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I am not going to put those chains back on for that devil. I'm not doing it. No. Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, for the truth. Father, we thank you, Lord. Let these sayings, this truth sink deep down in our ears and into our heart. Touch our children, Father God, we pray, Lord. I I pray for the fear of God amongst us, the fear of God among these children, that the truth would make them free. 